Hello and welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison. I'm here today with Andy Johnson. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing swell, Garrett. I'm uh, I'm doing wonderful. I'm I'm excited to talk about Band and Dunes, and most importantly, I'm excited to talk about our sponsor for today's pod, Zero Restriction. They were instrumental in getting us out to Band and Dunes, uh, a place that nobody has seen or covered before, but. You know, uh, we're hoping to bring unique perspective and twist to that. And many thanks to Zero Restriction who outfitted us and that, uh, you know, I guess it was November. It was, it was, you know, that November weather abandoned. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get. And uh, it was quite important to be outfitted with the many layers uh, that Zero Restriction sent us. And, uh, you know, it was cool. We were able to provide some feedback on their product line that's not even out yet. So one item that I had that I uh, really enjoyed was the Duran vest. It, it, it comes, you know, one of the big things that their new line is the colorways. It was red. You know, n- nobody was going to mistake me for something unless, like me, that you're red, green, colorblind. Then you're in trouble. But this <laughs> red really stood out. Um, so, it's you know, a little bit more eccentric uh, colors than your typical outerwear that usually is, you know, gray, uh, blue, or black you know this uh having the color new colorways was really exciting and uh the vest uh was a great layering piece you know i could wear it over you know polos and and you know pullovers or i could wear it under and uh it provided great wind protection and uh you know it's another layer for for the rain i think we went through one day that was uh i'll never forget but uh you know the uh it was just another piece that kept me warm yeah the vests are great because they do keep you warm, and they don't restrict your movement when you're playing golf. Well, that's why they're called Zero Restriction. There uh, you go. No restriction for your, for your <laughs> Is movement. that where the name comes from? I believe. I don't know, actually. I'm not, well, you have no restriction in weather. You know, I think it's a double entendre. Isn't that what it's, it's uh, what you call it in the literary world? A multiple entendre in the literary world? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was great stuff. We we did have a couple of pretty rugged days at Bandon Dunes and Zero Restriction kept us warm and dry during them. So that was much appreciated. Yeah. And if, if you are uh, persuaded to go get yourself some new Zero Restriction, I know the holidays are here. If you didn't get what you wanted, if you didn't get the outerwear piece you were dreaming of, go over there and use the code TFE25 and, and give yourself the gift of a nice outerwear piece. I will tell you this, it's, it's very functional for people that live in real winter. It's a nice piece to have to layer on those very cold win- winter days. Does Oregon have real winter? No. no. <laughs> so what you not. saw at Bandon Dunes was just a very aggressive fall. Yes, or spring. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. All right, let's talk about Sheep Ranch. Let's do it. So today's episode is the first of a few that we're going to do on the Band and Dunes courses. Each of the courses definitely deserves its own deep dive. We've decided to go in reverse chronological order in terms of construction. So start with the most recent course. But uh, you can expect more podcasts about the individual banding courses coming. Q1. But uh, it's going to be fun to start with Sheep Ranch because obviously this is the most recent addition to the Bandon Dunes Resort. It's a fascinating place, and it's the most popular according to the resort, which is uh, I didn't I didn't realize. Yeah, I mean I, I think that's probably because it's the one that people haven't played yet, and so they definitely want to play it when they go to the resort. But yeah, Sheep Ranch is, is packed all the time, and we got to go play it on a lovely day. You know, often it's really windy. <laughs> at Sheep Ranch. It's extremely exposed out there on that point. And uh, it was a pretty calm day when we played it. And uh, and so we got to see it in, in what's probably unusual weather. I've I've played it twice now. I played it very, uh, you know, during the grow-in process. It was not at all like a mature golf course when I played it the first time. 
And uh, that day, just like this day, was extremely calm. So, did you so, play all eighteen holes when you all did the 18, preview? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! So it was that um, was March of uh, twenty twenty, right days before COVID hit, and uh, uh, the U.S. and and so that was like kind of one of my lasting memories in the uh, doldrums of COVID was was playing Sheep Ranch with one of my good buddies from college. <laughs> all right, so. We thought we would start by giving a little bit of history of the property. And you have actually covered that with Tom Doak before. Now, Tom Doak and his team at Renaissance Golf Design laid out the original Sheep Ranch, which was a very different kind of course. And he described what he did, how, how that course came about and what it was like. So we're going to play a clip from that episode and just let Tom Doak describe what happened. Hey, so in listening to this clip again, I realized that we needed a bit more setup to help you understand what Tom and Andy are talking about. Uh, so one thing is that the original Sheep Ranch, in case you didn't know, was essentially a free-form golf course. It consisted of 13 greens, and basically the player would get to determine his or her own routing, his or her own path around the golf course. Then, of course, Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw came in a few years ago and turned it into more of a traditional 18-hole course to be part of the Bandon Dunes Resort. So that's one thing. Another thing is that when Tom refers to Mike in the clip coming up here, he is talking about Mike Kaiser, who is the founder and developer behind the Bandon Dunes Resort. Mike and his friend Phil Friedman, his partner from the greeting card business, were the major forces behind the Sheep Ranch, getting it off the ground originally and you know continuing up to today. All right, here's Tom. Phil Friedman was Mike's college roommate and his partner in Recycled Paper Greetings. And when Mike started looking at doing Band and Dunes, he asked Phil if Phil wanted to be a partner in Band and Two. And Phil said no. He thought Mike was crazy to be spending so much money out there on a golf project in the middle of nowhere. So when we started doing planning for Pacific Dunes and Bandon Dunes was getting ready to open, a lot of the trips, Phil would come out with Mike to Bandon. And Phil was just feeling like such a dope <laughs> for not having been part of Bandon Dunes. He loved playing the golf courses. He was like, he played the first loop of holes, the preview loop at Pacific Dunes more than anybody, I think. He just loved it. And he was just like beating his head against the wall. Why didn't I participate in this? So the land for the sheep ranch came up for sale. I don't know if there was an intermediate. At one point, a power company had owned it. And there were there were some wind turbines out there, like back in the 70s or early 80s. And it was so windy, it like destroyed the wind turbines. And they didn't work. So they took that all out. But I don't know if there had been an intermediate owner or not. Anyway... It was for sale and it was for a pretty good chunk of money for, you know, 200 acres on the Oregon coast in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, it was right next to Bandon and right where you could see it. And, and Mike was like, well, I got to buy it to protect the resort from somebody building a big, ugly hotel there or cashing in off what we've done and building another golf course there separate. But it was a chunk of money too. And, you know, Phil raised his hand and said, I'll go have these with you. And Mike was like, okay, <laughs> that'll save me some money. So it was a separate deal from the resort, a separate ownership. So they tried to come up with a business model that wasn't like directly tied to the resort. And the first idea was, well, let's make it private. You know, and, you know, I thought it would have been neat as a private course to, you know, you like get some members build a little clubhouse with some lodging. Sure, they go play at the resort during the day and then they come up there at the end of the day and play till dark, basically, on their own little golf course without a lot of other people around. I thought that would have worked. Um, and it might have worked, but somewhere during the process of routing as we were starting construction, I don't think Mike Kaiser ever anticipated at that point what a hero he was going to be in the golf world for building band and dunes and it being all public. But that was, that was starting to be the story about the resort. And Mike all of a sudden realized that if he, if he did this private thing right next to the resort, he would kill that. <laughs> and he didn't want to do that. 
So he got really cold feet about the business model and kind of backed off and didn't really want to didn't really want to build anything, not having any idea what he would do with it. But Phil, who'd spent half the money to build it, and you know he really wanted to go ahead. So he asked us if we could go ahead and you know what could we do for a limited amount of money, and and I said, well, you know, really the big cost of this whole deal is irrigation. Irrigation, the irrigation system was literally 40% of the cost of building Pacific Dunes. So without that, you know, if you're just building greens and a few bunkers, and we didn't even, we built about three bunkers because it was not sandy soil and we figured the sand would all blow away. We just built a couple of bunkers to see if they would hold up at all. And Phil said, okay, we'll just build some greens and, you know, we'll just, we'll just seed the whole place and, you know, you get enough rain there in the winter, you get a catch of grass, but it just goes, it goes super dormant in the summer. They would shut it down for a while in the summers because it would just get so toasty. You didn't want it to catch fire. Um, but it just had a, a loop of irrigation around the greens and nothing else. So it was really like what you'd see in New Zealand or rural Scotland or somewhere as far as the maintenance level of it. But because Mike had kind of like disavowed it, there was this always this awkward relationship between the resort and and the sheep ranch. Like, we got to make sure that no staff from the resort is doing any work up there, and they're not using equipment from up there. So the sheep ranch only had a f- couple used mowers, basically, <laughs> was what they maintained the golf course with. Uh, I mean, it was basically a two-man operation for years. And, you know... Some people didn't get it. It's like, why are the golf courses down there so perfect? And this is kind of raggedy. And some people just loved it that way because it was so different. And I think that's an important historical anecdote that is what happens when when new courses open. Magazines write about how it's the best course here. You know, no matter what, it's always that's always going to be the com- conversation. But it's important to remember that what you did at the sheep ranch was a drastically different concept and wasn't it's not like it was a fail it was a success in a different way than what bill and ben just completed there is it was a commercial golf course and yours wasn't a commercial golf course built for resort play you know it it was a it was a concept and and in many ways the idea of low cost construction low cost maintenance with a golf course that made people like imaginations run wild is a, is a smashing success and and not some not an idea of golf that should be abandoned. No, and I'm not. I mean, I want to be really careful. First of all, I haven't seen the I haven't seen Bill and Ben's course yet, but I can. I've got a pretty good idea what it's like. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on the ground. You know, I've seen the routing plan. I think the routing plan is really good. They did some things that Don and I never thought of that made. I mean, basically, they fit 18 holes on about 120 acres and made it really cool. You know, it's got to be really close together, and it's got to be kind of all mowed tight for that to work. But um, it looks really cool, and I'm I'm excited to play it. So I'm not saying what we did was better. It's It was completely different for a completely different concept and client and everything else. And... So the sheep branch was kind of in limbo for, you know, we, we, you know, it was done in 2003 and it sat there for 15 years with people occasionally playing it and not really understanding what was going on. Um, when Mike and I started talking about old McDonald and really not when we started talking about it, but just when we, just when we agreed that I would do old McDonald, right. As I started to shake his hand about it, he said, you realize that if I have you do Old McDonald, whenever I do something with the sheep ranch, I'll probably have somebody else do it. And I like hesitated for about a half a second, you know, because at that time, you know, Mike and Phil were at an impasse over what to do with it. And I was like, whatever's going to happen with the sheep ranch is way down the road. And, you know, we could use this Old McDonald job right now. So I didn't think very hard about that. But I, but I did it kind of with sadness, too, because I really, I did love the concept of the sheep ranch. And, it, you know, I knew it was going to go away someday and they would do something real with it. And it was kind of a bummer that 
that we didn't get to work on it again when the time came. But by the same token, you know, I was kind of like, that would have been hard for me to do. All right, so uh, there's a number of interesting things to say about the original Sheep Ranch. Neither of us played it, first of all. And so we can't really comment directly on what that course was. It seems really interesting in concept, but it just wasn't going to work as a public resort course. This was always going to be a private members course. That was the only way that it was really going to work. Well, it's an interesting uh, aspect of golf and whether it's a club, like I think clubs struggle with this. They build these really neat short courses. One that comes to mind is uh, what the course that OCM built at uh, Shady Oaks, the nine hole short course um, called the little nine, I think. But it when I got out there, I was looking, I was like, God, you could play this you know, 75 times and talking to the superintendent, do you ever do this? There's 75 different ways. And they are like, no, this is how we set it up every day. There's this reluctance for golfers in, in, in concept. If, you know, if a golfer's in the right mindset, it's like a playground and it's a really cool place to go, you know, and I think this probably has a lot to do with people's personalities. Um, if you're not like a, a type A planner, this is a concept that you find very appealing. Like I can, I don't know where I'm going next, but I'm going to go somewhere and I can play there. It's not necessarily, there's no handicaps. There's no, you know, this is not a place I'm entering my score, but for somebody that's type a, this is, this is an utter disaster. Um, the idea <laughs> of not knowing where you're going, not being a formal scorecard, not being able to track my scores, not being able to enter a handicap. Like these are things that just kind of would cripple a type a person. Where, you know, and, and I don't want to cast too many generalizations, but that I think like, you know, for some people, for certain types of people, this concept is is unbelievable. But for others, it's it's just like, no, this isn't golf. This is not my structured golf. And I think specifically people who are going to Bandon Dunes, if they encounter a free form course, their first question is probably going to be, well, which one's the best routing? Wh- which one's like the top 100 course here. I want to play that. Yeah. I mean, that's the question you encounter when the second you step on foot is everybody wants to know what's the best course. And, uh, you know, with the sheep ranch, you could come up with 60 different courses in its original, you know, construction, which I, I find quite appealing. I, you know, ironically, I think this, this course in the loop are two examples of Tom, I think one of the things that Tom does that uh, not a lot of architects do is they push the boundaries of and they push, you know, where they're comfortable going. Like, you know, they don't stick to what has worked for 20. He doesn't stick to what has worked for 20 years. He wants to design new concepts. And I think when you look back on his career, that's the thing that, you know, is probably one of the most admirable things about about him is that he pushes the limits. And, you know, this course and the loop to me are two courses that were built at resorts that are would be far superior golf courses for municipalities or clubs because of the versatility of them you know the loop is going to work because you know that that resorts really embraced it but i always think about that golf course how unbelievable it would be to play it every single day because that's where the more and more time you spend on it the more and more you appreciate all the little intricacies that went into that design and and just the day-to-day variety of playing a completely new golf course every day. And, you know, in some ways, the Sheep Ranch concept might have been a little bit ahead of its time. It seems like a perfect estate course. Oh, yeah. And it, and it ended up kind of being that, right? It, it ended up being sort of a, a private playground for Phil Friedman and his family for a while. And they finally decided to, you know, formalize the routing, make it an 18 hole course that was more part of the Bandon Dunes Resort when Friedman's kids had grown up and, and you know, they weren't going out there as much. But for a while, it, it kind of functioned in that way. But, you know, when I say it was a little bit ahead of its time, now we have places like Hoopy Match Club and The Loop, which uh, the reversible course that, that Tom Doak's firm designed at Forest Dunes. There are these alternative concepts starting to pop up. We're starting to see how they work. And maybe it would have been more possible for, for Sheep Ranch to happen if that were the case. But at the time, Mike Kaiser was like, you know, I've gotten a lot of positive press for opening up these public courses 
there's going to be a little bit of blowback here if we establish a an ultra private course, which which this would kind of have to be in order to function. Yeah, and who could complain with the results as it's the busiest 18 hole course at you know maybe the busiest golf resort in the world, and uh, you know people seem to love the golf course. So you know yeah, hiring it worked out. Bill Cor and Ben Crenshaw, obviously, you're you're going to usually get a pretty solid product. Um, I think this golf course is is very distinct from all the others because it's in a a complete it's off site. You you leave the resort. You know, you leave the central theme of of the property. You know, the dune ridge that extends across every single golf course at at Bandon is not present here. And uh, you know, it is a it's probably the smallest site of all the golf courses. The small site and and very different from the land at the other golf courses. Mm-hmm. Now, just to backtrack a couple of steps, for those who don't know, Corn Crenshaw came in a few years ago, did a new routing, 18-hole routing, and that's what we have today at the Sheep Ranch, which has been open for, what, a year and a half now? It'd be 2020. So almost two, two um, getting close to two years, but a year and a half. Now, Tom Doak and Don Plasic. Uh, his uh, associate at Renaissance Golf Design, had done an 18-hole routing. In fact, I think multiple 18-hole routings on the Sheep Ranch property before. And Tom has one of them in his book, Getting to 18, that's really interesting to look at now because it is pretty different. As you mentioned, it's a pretty small site. And so fitting 18 holes on there, 18 regulation holes, was always going to be a challenge. The way that Doak and Plasic dealt with it was by having a couple of holes cross over each other, kind of. And then you have a couple of holes kind of climbing up into the northern inland corner of the site where the driving range currently is. Bill Core solved these problems in a very different way. And Doak talks about it in his book. He says, you know, Bill found some solutions that I didn't see. You know, what Bill did was he has that first hole kind of running along the northern boundary of the site. Great first hole, indisputably the best, best f- yeah. first hole on the resort. And that was not a hole that Tom saw. Uh, and so Bill kind of found that one. He also found the green site for number nine, which is kind of out on a peninsula. And, uh, you know, that was sort of in a part of the property that the original sheep ranch didn't use. And so Bill kind of found that stuff and and made it work together as part of the routing. Bill also has holes playing along the cliffs in different directions. And he does that by having holes play out to the cliffs and then kind of go off in one direction. And then the course wraps back around, plays out to the cliff again, and goes in another direction. And so it's really cool, the, the solutions that Bill Core found on this site. And he talked to you, in fact, about the pieces of pizza. Yeah, that is one of my favorite uh, moments of the podcast history is he's describing how he figured this out and he talks about how they're like pieces of pizza and that's a good way to visualize it. So, you know, the a hole when you tee off, you know, you play out to like, you, that's where your shot, you know, it fans out like a piece of pizza, right? And then when you play into greens, that's like playing to a point of a piece of pizza, right? You, everything narrows down. So it became about matching up, you know, the insides of the piece of pizza in these gathering points. And you see it right off the bat with the first hole, the 18th tee, the 17th uh, green, and the second tee on this one little area. And then they're all the corners, the front parts of a, a triangle piece of pizza. And then everything comes in or goes out from there, like, a you know, fans out. So that's how he, he kind of did that. And he has these different gathering points throughout the for, throughout the property where it's, it's, it's very easy to see once you visualize it that way. And we did a video that kind of highlights this. Um, you know, it makes the route, it, like, I mean, it's already a small plot of land, but you keep, you go to these places and you return to them. And I, another thing from, you know, Bill talking on the pod that I'll never forget is how much he admires the routing of Cypress Point. And he always talks about how it goes to areas and returns to areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that you start to notice with Bill when you when you think about how, you know, the, the places that he's really enamored with seem to have similar characteristics with routing. And then you start to play his courses, and this is very similar to abandoned trails, which I don't want to get into, but there are these points that you go past and then you return back to. Um, and the same thing happens with the Sheep Ranch. And it's, you know... 
that that northern point that you go to the first hole, you don't return back there until the 17th at the very end, you know, and sometimes there are long gaps between them. Sometimes it's very short. Right. Yeah. So just to explain the the pizza metaphor a little bit more, you can also imagine just like a triangle. And the problem that he's solving with this in the routing is that this is a pretty small site. So it needs to be a tight, intimate routing with holes pretty close together. There aren't things to separate the holes from each other. There aren't these huge dunes that Pacific dunes and Bandon dunes have. There aren't trees. It's just, it's pretty open. And so if you have holes tight together on a fairly small property that's really open, then you have safety problems. And so what he worked out is getting different T complexes close together and then having the holes play away from those T's in different directions. And so you can get a lot of width in the driving zones because you're playing kind of from the same place, but you're playing in a different direction. And so it's a super wide course, but at the same time, the holes all fit. And the way he makes that work is by designing these triangles or pieces of pizza so that people aren't hitting into each other, basically. Um, and it really works beautifully. Yeah, more so than anything, any other course, it's, it's very like jigsaw puzzly in the sense like there's no dunes that like are are there, right? That pieces yeah. fit into or up into or over. Like everything's there and everything just kind of fits together. And I think, you know, obviously one of the co- things with this golf course, it's never going to be mistaken as a championship course. Like they're, they're never going to bring one of the USGA championships to the Sheep Ranch. The Sheep Ranch is a, you know, it's, it's a fun golf course. And obviously one of the most distinct features there are the bunkers. Um, so the bunkers, they made the decision not to put sand in them. I think that's a maintenance issue that they deal with at, at Pacific Dunes and Bandon Dunes and Old Mac is sand blowing out of bunkers. This is the most exposed site, the site that gets the windiest. Like if you're going to play it on a windy day, good luck. Um, it's going to be the windiest place on the, on the, uh, the property. And, you know, one of the things they did was not put sand in bunkers, which I think is something that more golf courses should look into. Absolutely. How did you like how they played? I, I haven't ever been in one, um, <laughs> but I've watched people play. Flex. Out of them. <laughs> All right. Well, I was in a couple. <laughs> yeah. I think they're impactful. I think like yeah. what happens is you get a lot more unpredictability out of it. I think you see good players struggle out of them. Um, you know, is, is the thing is you get really gnarly, unpredictable lies. Sometimes you get great lies and you can hit a shot, you know, say it's a par five, you can try and go for the green out of them. But you can also get really bad lies that you wouldn't see unless your ball plugged in a bunker, you know? And I think that's the thing that I like about it is that it, it does provide a little bit of a leveling of, of skill between a scratch player and a 15 handicap where the 15s generally struggle from years of caddying. I hope I'm not typecasting it, but just in general, you know, 15 handicaps compared to scratches that that skill level separates even further um, out of, out of bunkers. And I think this is a really you know, A, it's cheaper to maintain and B, it, it effectively like brings skill levels together, which I think is a very, very clever design feature that we should look at more in the future. Yeah. I mean, through the history of golf, we've developed this idea that bunkers need to have sand in them. And the reason bunkers originally had sand in them is that that was just what the soil was on the oldest courses. You dug down and there was sand. That was what was naturally there. And that's true also of the other courses at the Bandon Dunes Resort. If you dig down into Pacific Dunes' soil, you'll find sand. And so sand in the bunkers is is pretty natural there. At Sheep Ranch, you're not dealing with sandy soil, really. And so... They sand-capped it, though. Right. They Yeah. You're not dealing with a naturally sandy site. I mean, that, that, was, that, that was a big reason why they didn't put sand in the bunkers, right? Because yeah. if it blows out, then you, you, know, you don't have much to replace it with. And so, you know, what's at the bottom of these bunkers is pretty natural. And I think that a big thing that makes it work is that it's not intensively maintained rough 
That's what yeah. you usually see in grass bunkers. When courses have grass bunkers, they're collection areas. They're like water collection areas. Yeah. A lot of times there's catch basins and and they serve as drainage functions and what you get is like the thickest, gnarliest rough there. This is very sparse. It's like it's kind of patchy and and gnarly and and what it does is it it creates like really good lies. Like you can have that ball sit up and it's like it's on a tee. Or you could get, you know, you're in between tufts of grass and you're you're looking at it and it's like, I don't know if I can even hit this ball 10 yards. And you've got to play a variety of shots out of there, right? You, sometimes it's hard to tell how long your backswing can be. Because if you're a pretty good player and you're in sand, then you can kind of go after it. You have a little bit of freedom to swing hard at it. But when you're playing out of one of these, sometimes you don't know how the ball's going to come out. Sometimes you have to be really delicate. And and I think that that's what courses that don't want to do traditional bunkers should really strive for. Yeah, it, it elicits imagination, too, because you get in a lot of predicaments that you're not used to. It's it's the idea of like the departure from driving range or short game area golf. Like these, you get in spots where you're like, I don't really know what I should do here, but this seems like the right shot. And then you couple it with some of the green concepts out there and it makes for a lot of really fun shots and and the ability to really, you know, engage your creativity um, around the greens. What are some of your favorite holes? Well, I think, uh, I think if I had to pick one, you know, interestingly here, like everybody, everybody's very aware of the ocean holes. And what I think about this golf course is actually the best holes are inland. Mm -hmm. Um, The most jaw dropping topography. Now, like, there's nothing like playing on the ocean, right? And you're staring at the ocean. But when you're talking about playing a golf course, and the way I like to think about golf courses, it isn't necessarily the first time I play them, but like the more times I play them, what what grows. And and the holes that really stick with me are, are inland there. Um, the eighth hole is one that I think is just absolutely tremendous. It's got one, of, we talked about this on the, the podcast on the Dream 18. It's got arguably maybe the best green on the property. It's a green that, um, you know, Cameron Hurtis, who are we out there with, uh, made a, a, a comparison to an Augusta national green, like the fifth green at Augusta national. And anybody that's seen that just a, a massive false front, but it also has like some avenues of play that you can get at with, with different angles into the green. Um, the, you know, obviously the ocean holes, uh, the ninth hole is one of my favorites, just hitting into that green and having it run away the way it runs away is a, is a tremendous hole. But then, you know, going inland again, the 14th hole and the 11th hole, uh, the 11th hole is a par five that plays up this hill, uh, up a huge ridge. It's like, I don't know how to really describe it. It almost feels like you're playing out of a quarry. Uh, up to the top of, uh, uh, you know, and it's where the clubhouse sits. Um, that hole is, is stunning. It's a, it's, it's probably one of the sternest par fives on property. You have to hit two really great shots to get there and it's blind. Um, you know, on, if you don't get there, you're probably going to have a blind third and it's got one of the, it's got a really wild green. It's, you know, that's the thing I think I, I, you know, the, the land inland is really, really good. It's got, you know, kind of more dramatics than the land on the coast, but it also has the most dramatic greens. It's, you can tell that there is a, a effort to make those holes really spectacular because, you know, otherwise they'd fall short of the ocean holes. Mm-hmm. Now, so the 11th hole, the par five that you were talking about, the green literally is in a quarry, in an old quarry. This is something that I just found out where, you know, it was basically a sand quarry that Doak's team used to get sand for some of the things that they were building on the old sheep ranch. And to make the 11th hole, what's now the 11th hole, Core's team knocked down one wall of the quarry, essentially, and they have the hole play into it. And the green kind of sits in that cavity. And it's just really cool, really spectacular, an inventive use of not a natural feature necessarily, but a found feature. I think 15 is a fantastic hole too. It's a great, like, hard par four, gettable par four. It will say more about that. What's the, how is it both hard and gettable? So, like, well, like, 14 is like a, just a stern par four. And then 15 is a hole that, like, you know, depending on your skill level, if you're, 
you know, if you're trying to score out there, you feel like that's a hole where you should get a birdie because you can, you know, it's it's a short par four, but then you get up by the green. The green is just absolutely jaw dropping where the location of it right on the coastline and then also the undulations. It's got, you know, a spine that runs through the, you know, the green kind of is oriented on a diagonal. So the further left you play off the tee, the better angle you're going to have into the green, which I think is a little counterintuitive. It's away from the straight line at the hole. And it's, it's a drivable hole if you get the right wind. And, and I think most people end up trying to drive it, end up right, and end up in a really bad spot to approach the green. But if you hit it left, which, you know, is a little counterintuitive on, on a short par four, you know, it, it, it provides you the right, the angle to, to really get at every pin. Yeah. What, what's counterintuitive there off the tee is how far left you can aim and be in a great position going into the green because you just feel like you should be cutting off more. But you can really aim away from the green and you'll be in a good spot. But it's kind of like a, a hard thing to do because that the way the green in the coast is, it kind of cuts on a diagonal. And like, you know, there's not a lot of stuff in the way. So your depth perception is a little off, but you don't know how far left you can go because of the coast. If you're a long hitter, you're, you're kind of like thinking, oh, I might run out of real estate over there, even though it's really far. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you don't know how crazy the green is until you get up on it, mm-hmm. but it it is truly crazy and very, very fun. You know, there's this spine running through the lower portion of the green that you mentioned kind of right through the middle. And it really is a spine. It's a hump. Um, you know, putting over it is difficult. And then there's a tier at the back of the green that goes way up, kind of, you know, flows from the spine and creates a shelf at the back right portion of the green. And you can definitely three putt that green a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you can bake bogey from just off the green if you drive it up by the green really easily because you get in the wrong spot. Those those back pins are really, really difficult, whether it's into the wind, you know, you're trying to gauge your distance control right, you know, and, and your spin, you know, with the back pin. And then if it's downwind, you're trying to run it up with the right touch. And and it's a, that's a, that's a hole I'd love to just sit around and hit, hit pitch shots at all day to different pins. Um, but like, I think we'd be remiss, like the obvious, like contenders for favorite holes, like 16 is one. Mm-hmm. I think 16 is a super cool short par three. And when you combine it with the third green, they have, they share a green and the way they kind of create those massive undulations that divide the green, I thought it was really clever. Yeah. And, and Bill Core credits that green, which is the, the one that everybody's seen. If you've seen pictures of sheep ranch, then you've seen a picture of this green. It's out on five mile point. Um, what you don't see in those kind of high above pictures is how extremely undulated this green is. It, it is really, it has a lot of movement in it, you know, like, you know, 10 feet bottom to top or maybe more. And, uh, Bill core credits most of that green to, to Jim Urbina. Basically what core says is that we rebuilt the green, but essentially what was there before is there now. Um, and it is super cool. It functions beautifully as a double green because the sections are cut off from each other. And when you're playing to it from the 16th tee, the 16th hole is just so fun because there's this narrow walkway between the edge of the cliff and a big dune. And you're basically playing along that. And if you hit it over the dune, then you have a really good chance at feeding the ball to the hole out on the point. But it's not immediately clear what you have to do. It, you know, there, there's that feeder slope there, but you don't really see it. And and nobody that's like a scratch player is really thinking about that because you have a wedge in your hand and yes. you're thinking like, I can hit this close. I can fly it close. But, you know, if you want to bail out, there's a way to bail out and have it run right by. It's a little bit less predictable than your wedge, which is why a scratch player would never do that. But you know, it, it, it provides relief and, and it's a very, I mean, it's a tee shot that you stand over and you're kind of, you're no matter what kind of player, you're a little nervous. Cause you know, there's, you're exposed to the elements you're hitting out at this point and like, it's a big target, but you know that that cliff is, is unforgiving on the left. Um, so here's a general question about sheep ranch. I, I think that one of the things that we all hoped that the new sheep ranch would do was that it would retain some of the feel of the old sheep ranch because that, you know, that was a unique place in golf. What, what Doak and his team designed there, obviously it, it couldn't survive when 
the sheep ranch was incorporated into the larger resort. Something else had to be built there. But do you think there's still something of that spirit in the new course there? This is something I've been thinking about. I, you know, I think in the sense that it's, a, it's kind of a quirkier place than, than the rest of the golf courses, I would say, you know, it's got, it's, it's a charming place. I do think it was a little resortified in the, in the nature of like the par threes are, are kind of what grinds my gears at Sheep Ranch and they're, they're different from each other, but the three of them in the first three in the golf course are very similar to each other. And that, you know, I think there could have been some decisions and, you know, obviously I'm not a, I'm not a architect, but I think if you were not designing a resort course, you might've made some decisions that were different and not have three, you know, par threes that play in the first seven holes that play kind of in the same direction, similar lengths to similar green sites. Yeah. And, and I would say that out of those par threes, which are three, five and seven, and so that's that's part of the problem. They're they're you yeah, know, every they're other just hole. Close, you, you yeah, they're very close. And you're just like, wait, this is like a really similar shot. It's a similar wind because they play in similar directions. They do. And yeah. and then like the green sites, like they're I've been there, you know, twice now. It's like kind of hard to distinguish. Like I know seven runs away, and I you know I remember holes like in three. You know, you have some helping. Three kind of runs away a little bit. But then five, you've got some helping contours up, but like they're kind of, they're very, very, you know, there's not a lot of, and I think like not having bunkers probably plays a role in this, but they just yeah. feel really similar. Well, the first time you play them, they they definitely blend together a little bit. I think that three and five out of those are, are probably the weaker holes. Seven mm-hmm. is is a terrific hole, I think. You know, plays out to a peninsula and uh, green, as you mentioned, runs away a little bit. And so you really need to to land it short. And there, there's a, a really interesting green complex there that is just kind of fun to to play around. But um, five, I would say, is is not a particularly strong hole overall. It's it's a little bit longer than the others, I guess. You're, you're playing a longer club, but there's not much there that jumps out at me as like, uh, that's a distinct feature on this hole. It, it, it's more like it was kind of put there in order to have another hole playing at the ocean. And and I would say that three is, you know, it's, it's fine, but it, it's more just functional than it is yeah. a great they're, golf. Hole. They're just kind of there as holes. Yeah. They feel like now they point right to the ocean and the, the, it's stunning. Yes. But you know, when you look at the, the merits of the golf hole, they, they, I think fall short of like, you know, they're, they're a couple of the weakest holes on the entire property. Um, you know, across all the courses, I've something that I've I've kind of thought about and mulled about this is it's my biggest complaint about the golf course is like, could there have been decision that that changed it a little bit? And what I've kind of thought about is if the six hole, which is a great cliffside hole, different than seventeen, but similar in the tee shots, they kind of mirror each other. Uh, obviously seventeen tee varies direct a ton based off where you play it from, but. You know, they these are two great epic cliffside par fours, right? And if you if you turned six into a par five that played to seven green, which is a fantastic green site, like pro, is of the three, my favorite green site, mm-hmm. you would remove some of that, you know, monotony, and you'd get that par five. And then to make up for it, you know, one of the holes that I like don't want to hit a good drive on, so I get to hit the third shot is the eleventh hole up into the quarry. So my one of my thoughts was like if you created a, a par four that played down to the bottom of the quarry and then you had an uphill par three up there, it would add so much variety to the par threes. And and I I don't know if it would be a better course, but from a par three standpoint, it would be significantly uh more memorable and in my opinion better. That's interesting. Now that sixth hole uh that you're talking about, which is now a long par four, and you could turn into a par five. That would be spectacular. It would take up a lot of coastline, and mm-hmm. I think that that would probably be the concern that you're you're sucking up that you're amount tra- of coastline. You're trading in one two. Hole. You're trading two. Like here's the resort aspect of it, right? Like Banded Dunes, one of the you know, and I think Mike Kaiser's been pretty direct about this. Like the the postcard pictures is a is a big thing. The magazine pictures, like when when they started, of the ocean is a big thing, a big part of their success. Like, and you're talking about replacing two coast holes making it one and and then having two inland holes instead that's where the resort 
aspect of this, you know, kind of prohibits that that idea, which it's it's kind of disappointing, you know. And I I think you know that's that's just my two cents though. Right. Well, so in the transformation from the free form course with thirteen greens to the eighteen hole resort course, I think one thing that they've gotten right so far is just the feeling of being out there and playing in an open piece of land. Yeah. Because the the holes are not very distinctly defined from each other in a good way. You know, there's just this kind of these open expanses that you play across. There, There are some longer grasses. There's a little bit of gorse out there. But mostly what you have is enormously wide fairways. And so I think there's still that feeling of going to a tee, looking out at a green in the distance and saying, okay, we've just got to get from here to there. And there are a number of possible routes there. I've got this big field to play over and I'm just going to figure it out. And and I think that there's still something of that spirit still in the course just because of how open it is. It is by far the most barren looking property at the resort. Now, I'm not sure that that's going to last necessarily, but I like it right now. I like mm-hmm. that feeling of the openness. I think it it promotes like a feel of um, camaraderie in a way. Mm-hmm. Like you're on a journey, you're out there with other golfers. You see the, everybody all over the place, and it promote promotes almost like a community feel where there isn't as many walled off areas. It's like you're you're playing golf on this it, this beautiful like it's almost like being at a party that's like on this epic you know, ocean frontage. And it's just this big room that everybody's in and you're going and you're just working the room. You're working around it. Right. And like all, everywhere you turn, there's a great view. And, and I, I mean, epic holes. Like I think, you know, I, granted I played it in, in little light winds, but it's some of the most fun golf that I've played abandoned. Yeah. I think it is really, really fun. Now, as you say, it's really different when there's a heavy wind out there. I'm sure that the course feels completely different, but when there is a lighter wind, it really does feel like a sporty golf course, you know, mm-hmm. a, as compared to a, a championship course, which you might find elsewhere at the resort. You know, Bandon Dunes is, you know, these days feels like a championship course. And it literally is. That That's where they're holding USGA championships. Yeah. And like Pacific Dunes is like a place that like, you know, like there are multiple points in that round where, you know, you just have to hit a perfect shot. You know, and at Sheep Ranch, you feel, and I think part of it is that expanse, you feel the ability that you can kind of be a little bit looser and you can, and I think that plays to that sportiness that you talked about. Like you feel like you can experiment and you can hit different shots and because it does, you know, you don't have these deep blowout bunkers that are staring you right back in the face. You know, it, it just, it enhances your ability to see shots because you don't aren't as scared of repercussions. You could still get in terrible spots, but it's not as visually intimidating. And maybe part of that is that there's a lot of ground game out there. It seems like that and Old Mac are the two that embrace the ground game the most. And I think like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about conditioning. They're the two newest. They're they're the two with you know basically fescue everywhere, and they play. They promote the ground game as 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 the most of any golf courses because of the way they play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Sheep Ranch is gonna evolve, you know, like it's it's gonna change because of the wind and because of the type of terrain that's there. You know, it's it's not particularly sandy. It's it's much heavier soil. I'm sure the grass is gonna change. I'm sure there's gonna be different things happening in the areas between the holes. There there might be gorse reintroduced or if there's not gorse reintroduced i'm sure that the grasses are gonna gonna shift and evolve and i'll be curious particularly to see how sheep ranch changes in the future because it is very new and it's on a site that probably is going to be very malleable yeah i mean that i think that's one of the the things you always have to keep in mind with new courses is and it's something that sometimes can be frustrating with when you think about how courses are judged and it's they're judged when they're growing in when they aren't even fully matured. And, you know, we, we always slap the, you know, the sheep ranch obviously was like slap that that might be the best course abandoned, um, when it, when it was open, because that's what magazines do. But, um, you know, one of the things I always think about is like golf courses should be judged like five to 10 years into their lifespan, because so much of it is about, you know, 
how architects build golf courses and how they hold up with like quality construction, just like a house. If you buy a shitty house, it's going to fall apart. Like, you know, if you build a shitty golf course from a infrastructure standpoint, it's going to, you know, it's not going to age well. And then it also holds the ownership accountable to maintaining and keep taking care of a golf course in the right way. So that's something I, I think about a lot. Um, and I think obviously like the Kaisers do a wonderful job with, with both those aspects, but sheep branches one, like before we make these lot, like that is a golf course that's going to evolve more so than almost probably any in the world. Yeah. We'll see. Um, so you mentioned the, um, magazines that were eager to say that sheep ranch is the best course at Bandon dunes i don't think people were necessarily saying this is definitely the best course at Bandon dunes but there was the kind of strong suggestion this might be it but um i think when people say that sheep ranch might be the best course at Bandon dunes that they're forgetting how good some of the other courses are and it's just not quite on that level and i don't think it it's necessarily trying to be i think it's trying to be its own thing but if you're looking for a course that's as good as Pacific Dunes or, or Bandon Trails, I just don't think that was ever what this was going to be. This is the the ranking of Bandon courses is always, you know, an inevitable rabbit hole. And mm-hmm. The way I would phrase Sheep Ranch, and you can phrase this with a lot of them, and I think this would fall into the the two courses I'd probably want to play the most if I played there. Like if that was where I played golf, it was Bandon all the time. The two courses, and this is not a realistic thing for really anybody, but the two courses I'd want to play the most are probably Sheep Ranch and Old Mac, you know, and I think they have kind of the most variability with the, you know, with the design. And, and they and they also, I think, you know, Old Mac is hard. It's very hard, but it has the most shot options. And, and Sheep Ranch is, is a place where you feel like you can go get stuff. And, you know, Pack Dunes is absolutely jaw-dropping place but you know there's some shots out there that i don't want to see and hit all the time (laughs) but i really enjoy hitting them occasionally but not all the time and i think that's where you know i think i put it in that bucket of like and trails is a little bit bigger of a walk so that would be kind of the detriment on that is like sheep ranch is a place you could go play like 54 holes in a day no problem like you know walking and i think the same with old mac is like you know the the climbs like it's it's not as taxing of a golf course now obviously the wind plays a huge factor on that but the the golf courses are easy to get around and fun and they offer a ton of variety day to day yeah i'd agree with that and so it depends on what you're prioritizing that's why it's tough to rank stuff yeah i always struggle with this because it's like i think there are golf courses that are better than other golf courses, but the other golf course I might want to play more often than necessarily the better course. Mm-hmm. And I, it's something I always grapple with. And this is one that was score really high on the, like, I want to play there a lot list, but I think there are some, some issues with it that hold it back from being like a truly, truly great, great golf course. Like in, in, in the breadth of like the very best golf courses in the world. Yeah. All right. I think we've done Sheep Ranch. I think we've covered it. Anything else you wanted to say about it? Uh, I, well, one thing, I think the second hole, it'll never get any love, but I love that hole. It's a clever little short par four on nothing land that just like the green contours are, are delightful. And I love the, like the dry ditch that runs through it. It's like the least interest, like you're never going to see somebody take a picture and be like, I, you don't believe where I play today. And that's the picture. <laughs> One quick note, we are taking a break from the newsletter at this particular moment, but we are going to be starting it up with the new year again. So it's a great time to follow up on that New Year's resolution to read the Friday newsletter and subscribe because I know that that's your New Year's resolution. Uh, it's really good. It's a delight to read. And you can subscribe at thefriedegg.com. 